Welcome to When I Was a Girl. You are about to listen to part two of Delmarine Williams' story of survival from child abuse, domestic abuse, and sex trafficking. In this episode, we hear how Delmarine struggled through homelessness as a teen and later fought to make ends meet as a young and unsupported mother. During these years, she describes a tragic experience of a former boyfriend setting ablaze her home, containing her and her children. In a desperate attempt to build a better life for her family while not having any academic qualifications, she fell prey to sex trafficking after responding to a false job advertisement in the paper. Listen to how this story unfolds, but be sure to listen to part one first to get the full picture. All right, so after spending some time on the road, um, you know, basically living from different odd places to different odd places, um, I eventually heard that one of my friends back in Portmore was Hill. And so we decided that we were going to visit her. Now, when we came back into Portmore, this was probably about two or three months after being on the road, I saw one of my dad's friend who told me that my parents were looking for me, which I didn't believe, you know, who cared enough to, to want to know where I was. And so he didn't let up. He actually took me by the hand and took me to, to where my dad was. And my dad was crying and he was saying that, you know, he was worried about me and he wanted to be sure that I was safe. By this time, I was living in, I'd ended up now in Waterhouse, living in another ghetto community um, with this person that um, I randomly met on the road. And he took us to Waterhouse to, to give us a place to live. And then we got in touch with a woman in the, in the yard who was mm-hmm. very vigilant. She was a Christian and also a principal of a, of a school. Oh. And she found out that these two girls were living in this place because the, the man told us not to come out of the house. And in this place was dark, it was dirty because this guy worked on the garbage truck. Um, so this place was dark and dirty and musty and everything. And the lady found out that we were there. And she came to call us out, gave us food, um, let us took a shower and then she spoke to us, mm-hmm. um, asked us what we were doing there and all of that. So she cared enough. That was the only person up until that point who was an adult who actually cared to, to ask what was going on. And she said to me that her, her space is small um, and so she could not take both of us. We didn't want to be separated, my friend and I. So um, she was going to let me stay with her and send my friend to live with her other friend who was close by. So we agreed to that. By this time now, I was 16, you know, so over the age. Um, okay. just, uh, almost 16, so R16, one of the one of the above. So it wasn't so much of a legal issue, no. So when I met up with my dad, he was saying that I could come back because he wanted to get me in school because he knew that I, I wanted a good education and all of that. He wanted that for me. So it was, I should come back to him and he was going to do all of that. And, and I decided that right. you and your friend would have been out of school this entire time. Yeah, for this entire time. There was no school. I wasn't any thinking of going to school or anything like that. So right. I was just trying to survive, basically. Wow. And, uh, you know, I said to him, I'll think about it. He asked where I was and I told him and he asked if I was okay. And of course, I said I was fine and all of that. And I took him up on his offer. Yeah, up until that point, we were out of school. It wasn't thinking about school or anything. Um, 
and I said to him, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. And I'll let you know. Right. When I got back to where I was living, um, I told the lady and she was saying that you could go, you, you know, you're always welcome here. If anything happens, you can come back or you can visit and whatever. And so I decided, all right, I'm going to come. Um, I'm going to come and live with my dad and see how things, if anything, had changed. Okay. When I came back, things seemed a little bit different because now my stepmother, two daughters were living with her at this point. And what I had alluded to, to mention before was that my stepmother had a son who was in a in state home. Oh. Um, he was in state home for a number of years. And and prior to me, during the same time when I was living with my mom, when I would come from St. Mary to Kingston for lunch money, he also tried to rape me. The first time I saw him, he um, tried to tie me up um, and tried to rape me. It was an awful experience. The guys in the community were the ones who came and knocked on the door and, and, and basically draw him off of me because he was almost at the point of raping me when they came because he, he tied me up and everything. And I was screaming and crying. So I, I that was something else from me not to like my stepmother about because when when we talked when she was made aware of what her son tried to do to me she just swept it under the carpet and said oh it was my fault because i should not be sleeping in the house at that time of day oh, so she basically blamed me for trying to rape me so you can mm-hmm. understand how much hatred i had for her and it just doubled because of that so when my dad said that i could come back that was that was partly one of the Concern. that was partly one of the reasons why i why i hesitated because i didn't want to come to live with them where her son was because i didn't trust him right but when i got to the house um, it was just her two daughters. I thought it was just her two daughters. It was a day or so after that I learned that he was also living at the house. Oh. He was also living there. And your dad, um, your dad, was the house not, she, your dad was not told about what had happened with with um. Yes, he he knew. He knew that um her son tried to rape me. He was upset about it. And she also, she just cussed him out too and said that he was overreacting because nothing happened. And my dad was overreacting and it was uncalled for and all of that. And that was just the end of it. Oh boy. So here it is, you, you right. so, back to your father's house and this, this young man is there. And... Right. He's there. Right. His sisters are there as well. Mm-hmm. I got along very well with the older of the sisters. She and I were best friends up until the point that she died. I got along very well with her, but the, the younger sister and I didn't get along very well at all. And uh, so, I, so here I am now, back in this house. And but it was a ghetto community. It was different from the one that, from Waterhouse that I was coming into. This was very, very different, and it was strange. And so I remember my dad said to me, "I'm going to work." By this time, my dad used to jerk chicken on the roadside, and he said, "I'm going to work. Do not leave out of the house." But I didn't want to stay in the community because I didn't know anybody. And this okay. was so different. A lot of zinc fence and it was just really, it, what they call a capture land. Got you. So this is, a, this is an informal settlement. Right. You know, so it was really, it was, it was awful. It was like water house because it's a water house is a ghetto community. But um, there are a lot of concrete houses and there are good roads and, and all of that. In water house, it was, I didn't understand why people said that water house is a ghetto. This now where my dad was in Port Villas was a ghetto because it was just, zinc fence upon zinc fence upon zinc fence and all kind of crazy stuff mm. and i left i remember i left the yard and i left out after him and i went um to find him where he was and he said to me all right i don't want you on the road i'm sending you now where he sent me 
was the house that we used to live in, um, Greater Portmore. So these these persons were were church people. We knew them. We lived with them. They were like family. And I went and um, stayed there until daddy was ready. My thing was I'm going to stay there until daddy was ready to go home. Okay. I was thinking I was going to stay there. And, and when daddy was finished and ready to go home, he would come for me. But that did not happen. So I disobeyed my dad, but I didn't um, stay where he told me to. And uh, I got raped. A few days leading into about two weeks after the incident, I found out. I didn't know I was pregnant. Um... Because, of course, I didn't know what the, the symptoms were to be pregnant. But I couldn't keep anything down. Um, I was sleeping a lot, which wasn't um, anything out of the norm because I love to sleep. But I started to, um, to throw up. And uh, I guess my stepmother kind of figured I was pregnant. And I remember um, going to church with her. And after church, my pastor said that he wanted to speak with me. I thought it was something to do with school because my pastor was... Um, principal for a group of schools but he said to me um, your father is planning to send you back to school and your stepmother said, says that you are pregnant are you pregnant and I was like what I don't understand we spent um, we we're coming from the same house um, you could have said something to me if you thought that I was pregnant you could have said something at home but you didn't you come to church to try and embarrass me about the whole thing I said to my pastor I don't know if I'm pregnant or anything what are you, what are you you're talking about and he said to me I need to go do a pregnancy test and I said where should I get money to go do a pregnancy test I don't know anything about being pregnant or anything of the sort and the long and short of it he gave me some money he told me to do the pregnancy test and which of course um, came back positive so they asked what happened I, I showed them the bruises on my skin because the bruises were still there from the ordeal of the, of the rape and I told them who it was and everything and nothing really came of it because this person his parents his mom and his stepdad were his stepdad was a deacon in our church wow. um, his mother was a part of the usher board and so because they, they are active members of the church, they didn't want the shame, I was told, to be on the church and they didn't want it to look bad in their eyes. And so nothing came of it. I was told that um, they would help me with the child and, and all of that. Nobody thought about the shame that would be on me. You know, what persons would say of a young girl um, with, with a pregnancy and all of that. And of course, there was a lot of persons saying a lot of things that was bad and this is what I wanted and all of that. And I said to I was saying I was saying to my sister, because like I mentioned before, she and I became close. Right. I was saying to her, if I was still on the road, this would not have happened. I was on the road for so long and nothing like this happened to me. And now that I'm back home, I got raped. Nobody believed I got raped because I am a troubled person. You know, I'm always saying somebody's touching me or molesting me. So, you know, it was my fault, it was my fault, it was my fault. Right. Um so, you know, I, I dealt with it the best way I could. You know, I made friends in the same community where my dad was. There, were another, there was another young girl who, she, she was pregnant when I met her, or she had just had a baby. She just had a baby when I met her. This was in 2000 and, uh, 2019. Was it 20? Whatever year it was. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah whatever year it was. Um, oh, 1999. Oh. It was 1999. It was 1999. My son is 20 years old. And uh, when I met her, she had just had a baby. And so she was able to show me where the clinic in the community was. Um, she was able to tell me who to talk to and yeah. all of that. And so I went to clinic, did all of that, had my baby. 
and my mother decided that she wanted because uh, during all of this I hadn't spoken to my mother I hadn't seen her nothing at all it was when I was having the baby that she came to the hospital wow and you would have been about 16 years old when you when you had gotten pregnant yes, I was 16 yeah so she came to the hospital once when I I think it was time for me to have the baby she came to the hospital and she told me that I could come spend two weeks with her after the baby went to six weeks clinic so I did that went back to St. Mary and of course I thought it was all right now that I'm finally a mother you know she would finally love me she would finally have some sort of you know remorse or be sorry for what happened some sort of compassion or anything yeah the first two days was good but after that she started to tell everybody oh this is what she wanted that's why she run away and you know she didn't know she had baby and she come back a country for me man thinking well that was not the case she told me to come I didn't I wasn't just gonna come to your house without you telling me and so I decided I was gonna come back to to come back to Portmore when my aunt found out that I was in St. Mary she said that I could come stay with her because of course the house was now empty that's the house where I grew up and there was extra room I could stay there and whatever I I decided I was gonna do that because I wasn't working in Kingston um, and it was hard for me to survive in Kingston because I have this baby nobody to help me take care of it my auntie promised that if I help around the house and the yard and stuff that she would take care of the baby it was a deal and so I did that and then it wasn't working out after a while because I found out that I was doing everything for everybody and my child still was going without in terms of getting diaper and clothes and all of that so eventually I got a job as a bartender and I met somebody Mm -hmm. um thought things were okay with this person and and ending up again getting pregnant for this person in such a short space of time and then it it didn't work out with that person so here I was pregnant and stressed with plus I had a baby because my son wasn't yet two years old. So I was pregnant again. And it was really stressful because this person wasn't taking care of me. I was, it was so stressful to the point that I went into labor preterm. Mm. Um, at the baby, he was so sick. Um, he, he spent a lot of time in the hospital after birth. And, and I had that to deal with. On top of being hungry, because there were hungry days. There were hungry days or days when I couldn't find food to eat or anything. And I had that to deal with. I had a baby to take care of and I had a, a toddler. Really stressful. Yeah. And so I found another job, another job at another bar and was working there. I met somebody else. This person seemed to be a little bit better than the person before. Mm. Um, invited me to come and live with him, which I did. And things were good. It um, took care of my child, my children at this point, the best way. And it was good until he became violent. Mm-hmm. He became very But leading up to, to him becoming violent, Looking back at it, no, I realized that these things happen in stages. Yes. Abusers, they do things in stages because first he kind of tell me that because he knew my story based on what I told him. Right. And he knew that I didn't have family members. So the few family members and friends that I had, he isolated me from them, you know, telling me how much he loved me and that he was the only person who loved and cared for me and nobody else would love and care for me the way that he did and all of these things he started to do that um i could not have a phone by this time now um persons were getting cellular phones and it wasn't so we weren't so much in the dark ages anymore i i didn't have one i couldn't keep a cellular phone i remember coming into kingston and one of my friends said to me that we need to we need to keep in touch and he gave me a phone because he had uh, um he was changing out his phone and he gave me the older one that he had and when i brought it back to me, it was an issue because he was like why is this man giving you a phone and he became so jealous and so possessive looking back at it now if i had known that these were the signs to look out for 
I would have realized that this is a very unhealthy relationship. Yes. But I didn't know the signs. And so, you know, he would beat me down today and tomorrow he would praise me. He would beat me down this week. Next week he would praise me. So it was like that until it became, it became so unbearable that I attempted to, to kill myself again because I was thinking if this is the only person that really loves me and this is happening to me, then man, there, there isn't anything better, you know? So yeah. that, that, that happened over like four or five years. It was going on, constant abuse. And this guy was so jealous that nobody in my community wanted to talk to me, to even say hi to me when he was around. So he intimidated other people as well. Yes. Wow. And uh, I remember some uh, an older gentleman in the community said to me that it is not that I am afraid to speak with you, but I am afraid of what will happen to you when I speak with you. So it's not that I am afraid of him. I just don't want him to do you any more harm than he's already doing to you. Because persons in the community knew that this guy was beating me like crazy. Mm -hmm. We were fighting on the road. I remember just getting beaten one night so bad that I just thought this was it, you know. Um, <laughs> and of course, after all of this beating, I would have to go have sex with him. And I would have to pretend that I was enjoying the sex and it was the greatest thing. Because if I didn't do that, then I would be getting a beating during the, during the sexual intercourse. Oh, man. Right? So I had to I had to go through that and that went on for a number of years until I remember you know, all of my kids were living with me you now. By this time I had gotten pregnant for him as well. And so it was you now three children. Okay. And it it got it has gotten so bad one day that I remember him sharpening his machete oh. and sharpening his machete and he said to me that I'll never kill you. Matthew, I was doing everything, you know, for this guy. I was doing everything, going out of my way to make sure that he was okay. I was basically walking on eggshells because, I, you know, I was just trying to do everything perfect for him. I was, I was now selling in the market, you know. I was a proper, proper vendor, <laughs> proper, proper um, igloo. Mm-hmm. selling in the markets and 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 because he did farming so i would sell what whatever um was produced and whatever i would buy as well just to be sure that we had food in the house and all his needs were met right but somehow something would have to happen for him to be upset and he would just lash out so on this occasion i went to the market saw some stuff and uh, i decided all right since it was saturday um i would just buy some groceries with the money that i made um and so would not have to go to the shop on a sunday morning okay but when i got home with the groceries he was upset because he was saying like you know you use my money to buy food and all of that and so i got a beat done but he was sharing his machete and he was like i'm, I'm gonna kill you i'm gonna kill your children no that did something to me i could take and i tell people this i could take all the beatings i could take all the whatever but no he's threatening to take my life and to kill my children that was where i was like uh-uh this ain't gonna happen not on my watch you're not gonna do my children anything and i remember i saw him sharpening the cutlass and he came up to me held me in my throat um slammed me against the wall and my boys were crying and they were holding on to me and they were pulling him and they were saying no daddy because they call it all of them call him daddy yeah. and they were saying no daddy no daddy don't do mommy anything don't do mommy anything and he you know brushed them off and he was just coming at me and I remember I remember saying to him if you're gonna kill me kill me first because I don't want to watch you killing my children okay. so whatever you're going to do do it to me first and I remember also praying in that same breath I was saying that God if you just make him leave out of the yard I will do whatever you want me to I will serve you I'll be in church and I saw every Sunday and I made all the promises and uh, Thank God he left. Really? And I, yeah, he left. Didn't hit me more than what he did before. Okay. And he left 
and um, I didn't hesitate. I, I took my children and I just I just ran. And I went to the house where I grew up. I went there, and while I was there, he came and said to me, I need to come take my stuff out of his house because he don't want to kill me. And this is where the relationship ends and whatnot. Well, I was still afraid to go because I didn't trust him. Right. When my friend came with me, and when I came, he had put out all my clothes in the front yard. And I was saying, my God, I don't even have a bed or anything for myself, which is something that I would implore any young person before you before you do anything, before you think of going in a relationship or anything, try and have some stuff for yourself. Right. I didn't have any bed or anything for myself. And I remember him saying to me, so where are you going to sleep? I said, I don't know. And he said, listen, hold a bed here. Just like that. Took out a bed out of the house and a dresser. And uh, his remark was that he didn't want anybody to say that he put me out and my, me and my children are sleeping on the floor. He gave, he gave me the bed and the dress. I heard of a little room in the community that was empty and I took the room, placed my stuff in there and, uh, you know, it was sad. I didn't have any money or anything, but I wasn't hungry because persons, I remember this elderly man in the community, he would give me money and stuff because I would wash for him. I was doing okay. laundry and stuff. And uh, okay. one night I was there, I heard of a, of a house in the, in, the, in the community that was going to start. And so I went and checked it out. And of course, they said I could come and do some work there. And of course, I went. So I was talking to one of the guys that was working on the house. And he, he accompanied me home. When I got home, um, it was raining. And so we went inside. We sat down in there just talking as friends. Nothing, no intimate, anything at all. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, I would realize that I would smell um, ganja smoking. I would smell it. And I would realize that it was my ex who was coming to my house. Because when he come, he would sit under the tree that was near to the window. Um, I would find like a lighter. I would find like a Bible. You know, the small Bibles that they walk with. Right. Indian Bible. Find like a kerchief. I would find like a handkerchief. I would find a Bible. I would find like a lighter. Or so something for him. Random items, but you it, they were like yes. a sign for you to know that he had he was still coming. Right, he was still coming to the house. So on this particular night, I was just in there talking to the guy and all of a sudden I heard a noise, like a big thud. When I realized, what, before I even realized what was happening, my window flew open. And because the, the house was like ply structure, it was board structure, he used his hand to to, to tear away a few other plies and the boards and he was just oh throwing a lot of big stones in the house now mark you this is a one bedroom but it was just parted off um a bit okay and so my kids were on the other side of the partition but the stones were going over to where they were I mean, he was throwing some huge rocks inside the house because I am in there with a man which is not supposed to be. And it was just God because if he had tried the front door, he would have realized that the front door was open. Mm-hmm. And I, would, I don't even want to think about what would have happened if he came in there. Yes. And so while I was trying to shield my son, the guy sl- um, slipped out through the front door and went out because it was, it was dark. So he didn't see that the guy came out. And all this time, he was still throwing stones in there. And I was like, what, what are you doing? You're going to hit the children. And it, he didn't care. And so I went you now to, to push over my children on the bed so that the stones did not catch them. When I, By the time I looked back, my bed was on fire. He reached into the part that he had um, tore open and he used his lighter to light the sheet that was on the bed. And so the fire was now spreading on the bed. The fire was catching to the curtains that was hung at the window. And so I, I just um, jumped on the bed and I started to 
gather the sheet so that they would, uh, wouldn't blaze and I got burned on my foot because I was trying to hold the fire because this madman had come to kill us again. He had come to light the house with me and the children in there. Oh Luckily, um, I raised an alarm. My neighbors came and he, he left. Tried to report it to the police. Mark you, I was going to the police um, during all the years that we were together. I had wanted to ask about that because... I went to the police station because I, I remember even going to the police station with blood coming from my ears and my nose. Oh my and this policeman telling me that, oh, just go and have some sex with him. Because I'm going to sex the man one. This was police telling me that, mm-hmm. right? So I, di- I didn't even trust the police because they, didn't, they were of no help. And each time that they would come and they didn't see him because, of course, he would run when he see the police then I would get a beaten for going to the police. So, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't making any sense. It was counterproductive. Right. Mm. And so the morning after the incident, I, you know, I was like, I have to leave. I have to leave St. Mary because it doesn't matter where I go. Um, he's going to hunt me down and kill me. And I remember the guy, this guy that was in the house, he said to me, I, you can come and stay with me. I don't have any girlfriend or anything. Nobody to give you any trouble. I didn't want to, you know, because I knew that if I went and lived with him, then sex would be involved. I was just tired of, of the old thing. I was just tired of it. But eventually I went to live with him. And of course it didn't work out. And I wanted to, to just find me. Yeah. Um, and I, I found, I found up a newspaper clipping. I think my aunt had it that, a job was being advertised in Kingston. No experience needed. Um, you don't have to. They will find accommodation if you're coming from the rural parishes. It was a kind of a too good to be true um, kind of a job. But because I was in such a desperate situation, I didn't even take time to figure out that this wasn't. This was too good to be true. Mm. So I contacted my stepsister and asked her if she could look after my my boys. Um, for me to come and work in Kingston I would tell where I was working and I would pay her and she agreed and so came into Kingston I met up with a person who was supposed to take me to um where the job was right met this person in Africa tree got in the car with a complete stranger even up until this that, that point I was not thinking that this was I was being in um in any form of danger or anything I thought this was a legitimate job when I got to um where the job was supposed to be though mm-hmm. it was totally different it was totally different um there were some other girls there right which was not strange to me because i'm thinking that okay people hear about this job i'm not certainly not the only person who heard about it so you know there are persons here to to um to be interviewed and stuff mm-hmm. but well, when what i got was it that you saw that was um oh it was strange. um a job um advertising for for masseuses so it was they were advertising like a massage parlor Right. I thought it was the fancy massage that I saw on television. You know, I didn't think it was a glorified sex shop. Right. I thought it was actually a massage and they were going to train us to work because that's what the job said. They were going to train us to work in spas. And I thought when I thought about spas, I thought about hotels or guest houses or something like that. Right, right. Like a proper... Yeah, as a proper place. Right. I thought it because they said that when you were on training, you will also, you will get a stipend. So I'm thinking, all right, I could use that stipend to pay my stepsister to take care of the boys until I start to get good money. Right. So I had it all planned out. I had it all figured out. When you got to the location, you say, is when your your sus- your suspicion started to, to raise or is but it... Not even, not even when I got there because I, I say yes and no to that. 
Okay. Yes, because it wasn't an office setting. It wasn't an office building. It wasn't. It wasn't a traditional office building. Okay. Um. So that that should have been the first red flag. But I'm thinking, all right, this is Kingston. Tonya handmade fashion. Probably this is where the persons have to use. So you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. fine. Um. The second thing, the second red flag, which should have been how the girls were dressed, still didn't um. Ring a bell. Still didn't um, send off a red flag to me, right? Because I was so concentrated on just passing that interview, getting yeah. through the interview. That was all that I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. But when, when it became clear to me that this was nothing like what was um, advertised was when I was ushered into a bedroom type of setting. Me, um, along with another girl. So it was two of us. She was she was also in the car with me when I when I eventually initially when I met up with the person who was supposed to take us to this to the place. Mm. So we were ushered into this room and we were told to strip in no uncertain terms, take off your clothes. And so I said, um, excuse me, I am here to <laughs> to interview for the massage um parlor and he said to me this is it i'm saying no but um i don't think i should take off my clothes because they don't do that and he laughed at me and he beckoned to another opened the door beckoned to, to another guy and the guy came in when this guy came in mm-hmm. it was clear to me from that that these people mean business because this guy had a gun Boy. and he made sure to move the gun from his side to the front where I could see that this was a gun. And also the person that was supposedly doing the interview too took off his, his shirt and I could see that he also had a gun because when he took off his shirt, he had on a merino and the gun was in his waist. So you could clearly see that they had guns. Now the other girl that was with me, she was crying her eyes. For some reason, I didn't cry. I kind of felt calm because I knew that this person is not going to take my life today. So if they said jump off of the old stuff, I gonna jump. Mm. But the other girl was beside herself. She was crying and she was being hysterical and they were, you know, they were becoming angry at her. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just stepped in and tried to calm her as best. And I said, listen, we are in this and we have to do whatever they say to get out of it. So don't worry yourself. By the time we go home later, we will all forget about this and like it never happened. Ah, no later came. Oh boy. It wasn't a case like that where we could just leave. Yeah. This person took our IDs because remember now we know we thought that we were going for a job interview. So we had our IDs, we have our TRN, we have our NIS, we have all of that. Exactly. And they took those things from us. They took our identity from us. And uh, he said to me, I now know where you live and all of that. Um, you know, I know your address. I have everything for you. So there's no escaping. You can get out once you're in, you're in and continue yourself to be in. This is what you do. Men will come. You will line up. They will choose you. You will have to do whatever we do or show you here today. This is what you will have to do with these men. There's no complaining, no nothing at all. Mm-hmm. If you do, you will be disciplined. So Delmarine, you're telling me that what you're describing right now is essentially a classic case of being caught in human sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. Of course it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. You guys were held here by coercion. Matter of fact, mm-hmm. there are three um, factors to trafficking that we're, we're taught that we should pay attention to. And it is the act, the means, and the purpose. Well, here it mm-hmm. is that you were under the false impression that you were going to be interviewing for a particular job. And that turned right. out to not be the case. So you were right. tricked. And then when you got there, you were now coerced 
force mm-hmm. your identification mm-hmm. stripped from you because they gave us they gave us different names given new identities basically yeah and yeah. held there against mm-hmm. your will and now you're also being told that you had to have sex with these people in order mm-hmm. to to generate income for mm-hmm. for the, for for this and, and 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 Matthew, when you make this money, it's not like they give you all the money that you make. They take um take what their what their cut is out of the money. Of course, they take what they're supposed to take, and and on top of that, they take for room and board too. So you're basically left with nothing at all, basically. Because they're also charging you for mm-hmm. for your boarding, mm-hmm. charging right. you for for whatever food you would eat there, any 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 of your needs. That the you thing need. is, um, because we weren't allowed to go out, um, and we were supposed to look a particular way to attract clients. Right. I I hate saying the word clients because we would have to have our hair done, our nails done. We'd have to wear a certain type of clothing and so these persons will come in you will have nurses that would come in and give the girls injection to to, to stop their periods um oh, persons wow. would come in to do hair and nail and things like if, if, if somebody was sick there was a, like i said there was a nurse that would come in and try to assess what was happening and all of that do you think that those service providers knew what was happening yes oh man mm-hmm. they knew because i remember that first night they because what they do they i guess some of their clients again that word um can become very boisterous right and so what they did in the initial quote-unquote interview was to show us on the bed where they'll have a switch where if you are in trouble you press the switch and the person who is in the receptionist um, room would see that the light went off, would know what, what, um, what room it was that the light went off in and would come to your aid. They only press that light if you were in trouble. So I remember the first night um, that I got somebody to work with and I was like, I am not doing this, you know, and he became very boisterous and he became rough and he was talking and, and you know, saying that he paid a lot of money for me and all of that stuff. And so I pressed the button and some police officers came in and I was like, yes, police, we can go home. Thank God. Right. I remember the policeman said, what is the issue? And I said, we are, we are held here against our will. We want to go home. You know, why are you going to call? And the policeman said to me, is that it? And I said, yes. And he smiled, kind of a, a smirk. Right. And, um, Kind of a little under his breath, kind of chuckle, and said, and close the door behind him. So I was like, "What?" And I remember the guy who was in the room said to me that, "Listen, this guy is not going to help you. We are not going to help you. We pay money for you." And I became numb from that. It was like I was numb to everything. And it was then that I realized that there is no way out of this because if the cops know about it and they're doing nothing, right. you know. And I mean, it was near a radio station. A radio station was right there. It was in the business district. Um, a lot of established businesses were there. It was right near a playhouse. And so, you know, I'm saying that nobody knew. Nobody saw the cars, no nothing at all. What was happening in this place? Nobody saw anything. And when it was day, when it was daylight the, the following morning, yes. um, that was when I realized exactly where I was. I realized that there was a radio station and all these things that I just mentioned. Right. And I'm saying it must be that somebody will see this place and call the police. But then again, nobody wanted to call the police because they saw the police cars there. So they thought it was probably a hangout spot for police. Which it probably was. In a yeah, sense. Exactly. In a sense, it was because they knew that we were there and they would 
come and they would get their fill and fix as well. Right. And they were not doing their job of protecting no, victims. Definitely not. Definitely not. No. And so, you know, I was there for a time. I can't even remember the amount of time because, you know, it was just hard. Because during that time, I saw girls being beaten, you know, girls getting stabbed. Mm. It was it was a rough environment to be in. Mm. And uh, of course, I was allowed to go home. But in my allowance to go home, he would have persons that would accompany us. So these persons would pose as taxi men, oh. you know. And so we weren't allowed to even stay over. Just go, do your business and come back. And it was more so, that was used also as a scare tactic because they would say, oh, all right, just say you live. And so and so live your yard and whatever. So you dare not try to escape. Right. right? That was also another scare tactic. And I remember... Um, oh, I got out of that situation. The, the gentleman, he had, I knew for sure that he had an establishment in Montego Bay. There was one in Montego Bay. There was one in Ochiray. It's not sure if there was any other, in any other parishes, but I'm, I'm sure of those two because I would overhear conversations with him about those, other, those two other locations, right? And I remember him coming one day. But, and, and the funny thing is, the funny thing is, that he would take care of us. He would, like on a weekend, he would come with buckets of KFC, buckets of pizza. He would buy a whole lot of clothes or shoes or whatever and just come and put them and say, just take whatever you want. He would come to check in on us. Are you okay? Do you want anything? Sort of a situation. Right. Right? He, he became that sort of a person. And I realized that person actually liked him for that because he was a lovable person character mm. he was a lovable character and i remember one day he came and he said listen guys um i have to leave from this location those of you who want to come with me you can still come those of you who want to leave this is your opportunity but you have to wait until we leave before you guys can leave and sadly enough a lot of girls chose to go with him oh boy. a lot of girls chose to go with him and i don't judge them because i can understand because after a time the money got good the money that you could make Mm-hmm. because now you're seasoned to this thing and you know that there's no way out you just have to do what they say so you kind of bend your mind to the condition and you just do whatever and so I can understand why these girls would have went with him the fact that um, the, the intimidation was probably so severe because yes. I, I wanted to I want you to touch on Delmarine people listening must be thinking so Nobody tried to escape. How, how, why, did, why, why didn't they use their phones? Or why didn't they try to contact their Even when the service providers came, the hairdressers, the nail techs, nobody, nobody tried to send a message to any of these people to say, I'm stuck here and, and, I'm, and I'm being forced to stay here. How can I get out? What, what would have been the there, there, there are several factors. There are several factors. One, just how, if, if they were disciplining in um, any other girls, say, for example, something happened, a client um, wasn't pleased and they reported you to management. The beatings that that girl would get would put her out of service for two or three weeks. Oh God. Right? So nobody wanted nobody wanted that. Right. So nobody was going to do that. I, I, I remember this girl, she somehow got in touch with her boyfriend and told him what was happening. And he came and posed as a client and they were trying to sneak out. And he got in the car and she was getting in the car and one of the guys that would pose as taxi men when they were taking home realized what was happening and pushed his hand through pushed his hand through the um through the car. 
door, car window to get her. And the, all he got was like a hair, a handful of her braids. Oh, and uh, somehow she got out of the car. And when she, you could see the blood oozing from her skull, oh. you could see the blood oozing. Wow. So uh, because of those things that we would see, you know, persons getting beat and all of that, persons were afraid. Nobody wanted to be in that situation at any time at all. So nobody said anything, right? Um, and certainly for me, um, he, wouldn't, he would let me know that he knew where my dad lived and my boys. So I wasn't taking that chance any at all. So I just, I just did what they asked me to do. There would be times when he would take us out of that space, out of, out of the house where we were. Right. And he would take, take us to clients um, in the hotels. And even when we would go to the hotels, um, and these are hotels in Kingston, um, the guys would still be there because they would be the ones to take us collect the money from from um these persons and would take us back to the house. So there wasn't any chance of you trying to escape or anything because if you did then you know what would happen. So nobody took that chance. Oh. So when he told us that, you know, who wanted to come with him could go and who wanted to go home could go home. Um I think it was about ten or so of us out of about thirty five girls. Not sure of the exact number. Um, but the majority of the girls opted to go with him. And one of the things that I should have mentioned is that most of these girls, 90% of these girls are from rural parishes. So you have girls from St. Mary, from Portland, St. Thomas, St. Anne, you know, St. Elizabeth, these areas, the, the, the deep rural areas right. um, are where most of these girls would come from, right? So we opted, those who opted to go home, had to wait until, you know, all of them had left. And uh, the last person to, to drive out of where we were were the police, of course, because they had to be there to make sure that we didn't try to leave or anything. And uh, I left. Nobody knew uh, what was happening. Even I didn't even tell my sister, and we were like best friends to that point. I didn't even tell her because I was still afraid, you know. I was still afraid in case anything should have happened or, you know, I still didn't want to say anything. You left, and, uh, left the location and went there where your children were with, with your sister. Yes, yes. Okay. with my stepsister and my dad and uh, my children. So, and this wasn't illegal again. So I was again living in a situation that was a good situation because it was even worse because no persons were sleeping on the floor because it was me and my sons, my stepsister and her son, my other stepsister and her son, because my dad and his wife. And this was like a one bedroom sort of thing. So persons were sleeping across the bed and on the floor. So, and it got worse when I went there because my stepmother was saying that, boy, this face is small and she's uncomfortable and all of that. And so after about, after a couple of weeks, two or three weeks living that way, I, I just decided that I can't do this. But what is it that I can do? Nothing, because I didn't remember the old school thing never happened. I don't have any sexy subjects. I can't go look at a job or anything like that. So I contact. I was still in contact with some other persons who had left with us. And this girl decided that she had nowhere to go. She had nobody to go to. So she was going to do no go into prostitution um, on the road. And she told me where she was, and I went with her, went and meet her up, and decided that you know I was gonna do this. Mm. So I was now working as a prostitute on the street. It got even more dangerous because, unlike when you were in the home, you had persons to look out for you. Now that you're on the street, you have to look out for yourself. 
Right. And again, this was a violent environment to be in because it was a lot of prostitutes in this place. So this was a, a, um, an abandoned hotel in, um, in Portmore. And a lot of girls were staying in the hotel rooms. And of course, there was somebody that you had to pay money to. Um, this was a heaven for criminals, gunmen, you name it. So you had to look out for yourself or you had to become involved with one of the bad men that was there. And that's what I did. I got involved with one of the done that would collect the rent and stuff from the girls. And so I was protected in that way. Mm. Um, so nobody would do me anything because they knew that, you know, I was so-and-so girl. So nobody would do me anything or try to do me anything. Um, but, but in order for him to, to, to protect me, I had to, of course, be having sex with him for free and giving him food whenever he needed food and giving him money whenever he needed money. So oh. that was exchanged for, <laughs> for him protecting me. And of course, the persons who would beat up these girls are his friends. Mm. Those friends are his friends. So it's, not, it's like, you know, you're paying him to keep his friends off you. Sort of a situation. Mm-hmm. So I did that and I was in that situation for months. And it, it got to the point where I didn't know who I was anymore. Yeah. Right? There, were no, there were no little values. You know, I would, I would just be with anybody if the money was right or even if the money wasn't so right. I would do that. And I find myself now starting to take drugs. I was smoking more than usual, um, taking ecstasy drinking a lot of alcohol because when you get to this this um this point you know right. you need these things to, to kind of take you from the reality so you you want to be in a constant state of high right so that you don't have to face up to your reality and that was what was happening to me there was cocaine offered but i knew from from being in in, in a drug addiction club at school that you don't want to mess with cocaine i mean you don't want to mess with any drug at all Right. But I, I saw where cocaine would, you know, persons would go crazy and they would start eating out of garbage bins and stuff. I didn't want that. I wanted, okay, so if I'm going to die, it would just be a clean death. I didn't want to be suffering or anything. So it had gotten worse. It had gotten worse. I was just out of control, getting into cars with the run, random men just going off, didn't even care what would happen to me. Right. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I just, I, just, I just reached that point where I just did not care anymore. And throughout all of this, uh, um, of course, there was still God, there was still the Holy Spirit. Looking back, I can, I can realize that the Holy Spirit was there. I just didn't know how in that time. I just didn't know how much he was protecting me. Because when I look back at so much things happening, girls being stabbed, even where I was at that last um, point, girls were being stabbed and, you know, girls getting, um, I remember this girl, a child was killed and all of that sort of thing was happening to them. And I remember one time the police came and they, they took us up, carried us to the, the, to, to the police station and warned us and I just I didn't care what was happening to me. Yeah. And I remember... I was going to, I remember one night how I got to my breaking point. There was this guy that I knew from, I was going to school and he saw me there and he was like, what are you doing here? You know, why are you doing place here? And I said to him, what do you know girls do at this place? Girls that are here, what is it that they do? And he said, they are prostitutes. And I said, well, I am here. So obviously. And he said to me, all right, I'll go and come check you later or whatever. And that just kind of creeped me out because I'm saying that this guy could almost be my brother to how close we were. And, you know, for him to hear him say that he was going to come by. And he did come by and 
you know, after after I had sex with him and I collected the money and he went, I it was like I hit an all time low. Mm. And I was saying, My God, is this is this it? Is this it? Is this really it? Is this what I'm going to do with my life forever? Mm-hmm. You know? Because this guy wasn't he smelled awful. Um, didn't have proper hygiene, you know, it was just awful. I remember I went to the bathroom and I saw myself in the mirror and I said, God, I'm giving you 24 hours. If you don't do something, I'm going to take my life this time for real. Not going to tell anybody nothing. I went on top of the building and I found a spot where I was going to jump off because I knew if I jumped off there and landed in those stones, there would be no help. Nothing at all could bring me back. So I had already looked at that and I knew what I was going to do. And I said, I'm giving you 24 hours. After I came out of the bathroom, I went um, to where the rest of the girls were. And I saw somebody and I decided to go approach him to ask if he was going to buy sex. Because like I said, I just got this boldness. I didn't care what was happening. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, I don't, I don't do this. I don't buy sex. So I said to him, what are you doing here? You're just a wall of traffic, you know? And he said to me, I like your boldness. I want to talk to you. And I said, I can't talk to you unless you pay for my time. And he offered to pay for the time. And so we talked. But in this talking, it wasn't about sex. It wasn't about anything pertaining to what I was doing. It was as if I was talking to a friend. It was like I'm talking to somebody that I knew. Right. And we talked for hours, 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 hours. And he told me that he had to go because he had to, for work and whatever. And he promised to call me the other day. That was the day following, which he did. And he said to me, um, I want to take you from there. You're such a nice girl. What are you doing there? I need to take you from there. And, you know, I decided, okay, I could use the break. So I went um, to his house. Like I said, I, this wasn't something new. I wasn't scared because I oftentimes would go away with random men. Mm-hmm. So this wasn't something that I was afraid to do. Right. But I went with him and it was somehow different because for like a week, I was just sleeping and eating and he didn't ask for sex. He didn't make any attempts to have sex with me or anything. And I asked him straight up. I said, are you gay? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. what is happening? And he was like, your body not tired. Aren't you tired to have sex? Rest. Wow. And I remember one day he, he called me. He went to work and he called me and he said to me, get a show and prepare yourself. If I want to take you to the doctors this evening, I'm on my way home. So just get ready by the time I come so we can go. I was like, why, why am I going to the doctor? I don't need to go to the doctor or anything. But I obeyed because this was a good guy. And he took me to the doctor. We did some blood tests. A few days after the test came back, um, didn't have it, didn't have anything at all. Thank me to God. Every time I think about it, I just break down. Yes. And he said to me, no, I can have sex with you because I want to be sure that you are okay and I want you to be sure that I am okay. And so he said to me, you're my girlfriend. You don't need to go back there. We're starting our life now and whatever. It was almost, again, too good to be true. I started a relationship with him, didn't go back. Um, he took care of me, but then when it was time, You just listened to part two of Delmarine's story of survival from a horrific abusive relationship and her experience of being sex trafficked in Jamaica after responding to a false job advertisement in the paper. Listen to part three to hear her clear successes and near misses in the fight to stay alive under very unlikely circumstances. (laughs) 